Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. So, so humbling to stand here in front of you guys. But uh, Chris, I, I have a, a joke for you. Did you know that you can't run through a campsite? You can only run because it's past tense. I mean, I thought that was good, guys. <laughs> but uh, good morning, as we say back home. From the heart of KwaZulu-Natal, our region is called Zululand. We are from the heart of the Zulu nation where we live. It's so good to be here with you guys. And um, I must say, we really, really miss you guys. You know, every time we're here and and we're back, it's just so awesome. And you know what's also so nice for me is as I look across here, I see a lot of people who've never met me before or who I've never met before, which is so wonderful because... um, I mean, we left in the middle of 2019, we, we went down to Richards Bay, and then we had the, the joy of, of basically taking over the church two months before COVID. <laughs> it was uh, quite an experience, but it's so, so great to come, to come back, and also a privilege to be part of the FMI family, and it's so good to just see what the Lord is doing. It's so, so wonderful. I, I want to tell you now that I'm sort of not part of the team. I can tell you guys this is a wonderful place to be. And it doesn't sound like a sales pitch. I can really, really mean it, guys. Um, this is a, a wonderful, a wonderful house of the Lord here that is being built. And uh, yeah, you can. <clears throat> and uh, I know I say it frequently when I'm here, but do not take the the anointing and the openness of, of the heavens here lightly. It has been labored for for generations. And if you're new here, you get to step into an environment that has literally been labored for by generations of men and women of God who've said yes to him and who've really paid a price. And I love it that it's generations of people who don't serve God just because it seems like the best thing to do. No, these are people who paid uh, for, the, for the open heaven that we get to experience. And it's so wonderful. So uh, it's a privilege to be here, but I also want to tell you guys, this is a wonderful place for you to be. And I can say that because I'm not part of the staff. <laughs> if I was here, I would totally be here. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah, so thank you for having me. It's uh, a, truly a privilege to be here. Uh, greetings, as I said, from KZN. We live in Richards Bay in the heart of Zululand. And uh, yo, we've been going through the most. <laughs> well, so has Joburg. You know, you guys have had some crazy things going on like underground and all sorts. We've had other sorts of crazy. I don't know if you've seen on News 24, my city, Richards Bay, or our larger city is called Umklatus. Um, we've like, yo, we've been going through the most as well. Hey? We've got like hundreds of trucks coming into our city every single day, possibly thousands. Actually, somebody in our church the other day counted the line of trucks waiting to get into our port because of the certain shortcomings of a certain government entity that hasn't been seen to rail systems and stuff like that. But anyway, 
They counted the trucks, one row of trucks, 417 coal tipper trucks waiting to get into our harbor. <laughs> it causes minor traffic difficulties in our town. <laughs> and uh, last week, our, our beach once again was hammered by another storm. It's like, yo, we're just experiencing all of these things, so our beach is looking quite hectic. But I do want to tell you a testimony as well. A few weeks ago, or let's say about a month ago, there was a fire in our city as well. You would have seen it also on News 24. <laughs> it was hectic. So uh, just like you guys, we're also going through the most. But basically what happened is one of the, the uh, wood chip mills in our town, one of the basically piles of wood chips caught on fire. Now it's not a little pile of wood chips. The pile is bigger than this building. It's massive. And uh, the wood chip pile or the piles, a few of them caught on fire, happened to be just next to the one railway. And right next to the railway is Foscor, which is the fertilizer plants. And um, basically, what they were saying is, if this fire had jumped that side and hit our fertilizer plant, and it hit just one of the basic silos of fertilizer, the estimation was that it would take out half of our town. Um, and there's two silos, so probably more. And uh, so my wife and I were actually in Madagascar on outreach while this was happening, and we just saw our phones when we got signal, just like blowing up with messages of everybody praying into this thing. And at its worst, when it started, the fire jumped across our main road, and it got into the bush, and it was heading into the neighborhood, basically. There's a, there's a, a thin green belt, and the fire was in the green belt, heading towards our neighbors, or our neighborhood. And there's actually some folks in our church whose houses are right on the boundary. And these guys are like messaging, pray, guys, pray, guys, pray. And collectively, the whole church in our city stood up. As we've seen before, even with the rioting, it's amazing to see when God's people stand up and, and just begin to pray and begin to take action. It was awesome. But everybody's busy praying. Here's what happened. The fire was getting closer and closer and closer to the neighborhood, probably within a, a number of meters. And guess what happened? The wind turned. And the next day, it rained. Yeah. It was just awesome to see what God would do. And uh, that fire still took another three weeks to put out. It was nonstop, 24 hours a day. The firefighters just fighting. And once again, it was wonderful to see the church rise. The churches in our city looked after a group of well over 100 firefighters, feeding them, helping them. And it was just wonderful to serve. And so I also realized how resilient our people are us as South Africans. It's wonderful to see. Uh, we're in a country where we are constantly drawn to our knees, but I think that's a good place to be. Yo, and even the rugby guys, <laughs> my, my watch thought I was doing a workout last night. I'm not lying. I, I'm sitting there watching the rugby and I get a message on my watch saying, you're earning zone minutes. <laughs> which means that my heart rate was in the exercise zone <laughs> just from watching the game. <laughs> it, was, it was intense, guys. Three weeks of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm not going to be like a prob probably like many people <laughs> today preaching about the power of one or the power of one point. I'm not going to go there. 
Or I'm not going to prophesy and say that was prophetic about South Africa. It could be, but there are a few things that people said which I will absolutely say yes and amen to for us. One of them, one of the commentators after the game said this. He says, South Africa, listen to this, how he was prophesying over our nation. He says, South Africa is a country that craves and thirsts for miracles. And this is what we've seen. Huh? I mean, I don't care if he was talking about sport. (laughs) That's profound. And so we say yes and amen, that we're a nation that craves and thirsts for miracles and for the wonders of God. It's just powerful. And the whole message that comes together about our nation through this is wonderful. You know, even Jeremy Loops (laughs) was saying on Instagram how ever since 1995, it's always been slightly more significant for us as a country. Uh, winning things like this, because it symbolizes things uh, that are really, really powerful, you know. If you read the book Playing the Enemy by John Carlin, he speaks about how Nelson Mandela actually used sport, and he used rugby to draw a nation together, and he actually studied it while he was in prison, and he learned to speak Afrikaans while he was in prison to reach out to people and to catch their hearts. The Lord can use whoever he wants to use, eh? So it's really powerful. It's, it's a beautiful day in South Africa today. And uh, may we continue in the momentum of this moment. Amen. I might start preaching. <laughs> Let's see how things go. Can we pray? <clears throat> Holy Spirit, you are so welcome with us. We love your presence. Holy, holy, holy are you. There's no one else above you, our God. And so, Father, even as as we go into your word, Lord, I need you. We need you, God. Without you, this is just not, it's not worth it. So come, God. We desperately need you in every single facet of our day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like many of you sitting here today, hey, it's been a couple of late weeks of late nights, guys. How are we getting through this? <laughs> so well done for being here. Um, I want to highlight just a few things. If we can turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So at our church, we've been going through the book of Acts just as, as the Lord has been leading us. So it was really, really wonderful for me. Uh, when we arrived at Spring Conference this year, and the first message of the first night that John preached was from Acts 8. I was like, yes, we're in the same book here. <laughs> and then I contacted Daryl this week, and I said, Daryl, this is what I feel I want to go after. And I, and I said some stuff, and Daryl started laughing at me. I was a little bit affronted. No, I wasn't. <laughs> and I said, Daryl, why are you laughing? He said, no, just keep talking. <laughs> so I kept talking, and he said, Grant, those were the same scriptures that Paul Manwaring used last week. I was like, oh no, this is hectic because Paul Manwaring is one of my favorite speakers in the world. So I hope we get to find something more (laughs) from the scripture today. But the Lord has been just taking us through this book and it's been so powerful to see some key things that he's stirring us in. Just a heart for the nations, a heart for the lost, a heart for seeing the Great Commission lived out. And one of the key things for me is what I see here in Corinthians, and it's from verse 5. Paul says this, 
2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 to 7. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Oh, let's just read in the NIV. For, uh, for what we preach is not ourselves. I, I just love that, firstly, because Paul is trying to bring home a point here. And sometimes I think us in the modern, in, in the modern days, because Scripture is always relevant to us, we need to remember that. We do not preach ourselves. What he means is, I'm not preaching about me here, you know. We don't preach the gospel of Paul. That's what he's saying. For what we preach is not ourselves. Sometimes I wish some of the gospel channels, I wish everyone would read that. <laughs> because we're supposed to point to him. And I'm not trying to say that as like some critical person who thinks, no, no. May, uh, may we always point to him. And that's what Paul says. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Just pay attention to the word light. He says, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Some Bibles that the light is capital, referring to Christ. And then it goes on and says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Who's the jars of clay? We are. It says another translation, earthen vessels. What it's pointing to is the frailty of man. We are just people. But in us, we have this treasure of immeasurable value. And, and what this treasure does is it points to someone. It points to Jesus. It points to the Father. It points to the Holy Spirit. So all of this greatness that's inside of us, that's pent up inside, if you know Jesus, is to reveal His glory and point to Him. And it's actually just like this, this absolute display of the frailty of who we are. And it's just this incredible revelation that Paul lived in. Of like, guys, this is what I carry so the first thing I want to ask is, family, can we just have more of a revelation of what's inside? He says in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that you can grasp how high, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ. He pray, Paul prayed that over us in Ephesians. Sadly, 30 years later in the, in the letter to the Ephesians and Revelations, that's the aspect that they had lost. Because he said, you've got lukewarm. So guys, may we carry a bit more of the revelation of this incredible treasure inside of us. Because I think if we understand more of the treasure, I think our hearts will be stirred more to share the treasure that's inside of us. And as we go through Acts, that's what we see. It's like we see these guys who are just so empowered by the treasure inside of them. That all they do, wherever they go, is they just want to give it out. They just want to show people what's inside. And so they took Matthew 28 seriously. 
and that's what we feel God is doing there by us. Where Jesus said, go and make disciples, he meant it. <laughs> that's what we called for. Whether you're up here or down there, it's, it doesn't make a difference. It's the mandate of our lives to go and share this treasure that we carry. So we're going to go super quickly through Acts and hopefully get to chapter 9. So we'll, let's just do a bit of context before we get to Acts 9. Acts chapter 1. Jesus gives us basically final, final, final orders. He speaks about how we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. Just on that, I don't know if it's possible to live out the Great Commission without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what you see throughout, the, throughout Acts. I don't think it's possible to live out what he's called us to do without his baptism. It's fundamental to who we are. So Jesus gives us, gives us the, uh, our final sort of thing to do, and he says, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power, and you will be my witnesses. The word witness in Greek is martyr, martyres. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so when they heard it, he said, you will be my martyrs. That's the word witness. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, oh, my greatness, guys. It's not just telling people. It's like, are you prepared to die. And I don't think we can be prepared to die without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives that. Then in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes and the last days begin. Because in the last days, Joel says, I will pour out my spirit. So the last days began in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up and he preaches like the best sermon ever. Well, his first one, and it's like a perla. 3,000 people are saved. It's incredible. And the church starts. End of Acts chapter 2, one of the most beautiful parts about church. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking along, and somehow this treasure inside of them needs to minister to someone. Amen. And it's the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. So they go, and they pray for him, poof, and he's healed. And Peter and, and John immediately point to Jesus. And people are kind of upset <laughs> that this happened. So they warned, and they say, don't do this again. Peter and John are like, we can't stop because something inside of us is just stirring us. We cannot stop doing this and telling people about this incredible Savior we serve. In Acts chapter 4, they preach again an amazing sermon. 5,000 men are added. But then people are really upset. <laughs> so they get arrested again. First time they were arrested and told not to, do, not to do anything. Second time they were arrested and, you know, had big discussions. And then you know what happens at the end of Acts 4. They get out of jail for the first time. They haven't been beaten up yet. <laughs> and, they, and they get out there and they say, now, Lord, fill us with more boldness. And may your, may your word be accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. And it says, as they prayed that, the Holy Spirit shook the place. And it says, they went on preaching the word with boldness. Yeah. Then they go out and they, they, just, they just keep going. Wherever they go, they just tell people about the Savior. And Ananias and Sapphira lied and didn't work out well for them in Acts chapter 5. And then they get imprisoned again. For preaching the word towards the end of Acts chapter 5. And this is, by Acts chapter 5, this is what's happening to the early church. Basically, they, were, they said this, just kill them. <laughs> that was the conclusion to the early church. Let's just, just kill them, really. I, I think that's what we've got to do. <laughs> and Gamaliel stands up and says a few profound things. And God uses this man mightily. So I want to read what Gamaliel says at the end of Acts chapter 5. Yo. 
let me just interject myself here. I think sometimes when we read scripture, we become like disassociated from it. And we read it like, hmm. And it's like, hmm, yeah, that was good. But I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that this really happened. (laughs) That this is really true. That the Bible is the most reputable book in the history of the world. And when you belong to Jesus... This book becomes your story. So when we read Acts, when we read the New Testament, when we read the Old Testament, it's like sitting down and telling family stories. This really happened. Luke is a real guy who really wrote this. Paul really existed. Jesus was referred to not just in this book. Josephus wrote about Jesus. Historians wrote about Jesus. He really existed. And the fact that these guys are so passionate is one of the most, it's one of the biggest arguments used by apologists to argue for the reality of Jesus. Like, how could guys go from being so scared one minute and Jesus gets crucified and they come out and they are happy to die? Because Jesus rose. Like, would you want to die for a fake story? No, of course not. But you're happy if you know in your heart that you know that you know that this is real. And that's what they're facing in the early church. So Gamaliel stands up and he says this absolutely profound thing. He, he gives a judgment. He says, in the present case of these Christians, I say to you, just stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this is the plan or action of man, it will be overthrown. Yeah, this is our family story, guys. And then listen to what he says. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. Sure. Here we are, 2,000 years later, sitting in a building talking about a king. Guess what? It was not overthrown, it's real. The king we serve is real. The treasure we have inside of us is real. And then the next thing that happens, it says in verse 40, they took Gamaliel's advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. So that's the first time someone got beaten up for Jesus, really. And it says they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Good luck, guys. (laughs) But listen to verse 41. It says, and then they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Can you just picture that? I mean, Peter and John probably walking out. I don't think they were walking out like normally, you know, because they had just been stripped naked. That's what happens when you get flogged. You get stripped naked, hooked up to a pole. They whip out a whip and they whip you. Probably 39. They didn't go over 40 because of uh, basically Jewish tradition that if it goes over 40, you're considered an animal. So they would do 39 so that they wouldn't count wrong and go over to 41 because then you're in another department sort of thing. So they've been whipped 39 times, and I can just imagine, here they come, like, bleeding and limping, 
And like Peter's like, how was yours? <laughs> Hectic. Mine. Oh, no, dude, they nearly killed me. Yo. But I'm so happy we were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you. Yo. And yet they walk in this joy of suffering for his name. And then Acts chapter 6 happens. They appoint uh, Stephen. Stephen then uh, in Acts 7 preaches this incredible message. Except at one point at the end he signed his death warrant by really offending them for the truth's sake. And then they stone him. And what's so amazing is Stephen becomes the first witness, the martyr, martyrs. He becomes the first one. And he, in that short time, became so much like Jesus that he got to do what Paul prayed for in Philippians 4. Paul says, no, it's in Philippians 3. He says, that I may be like Christ and become like him even in death. Stephen did that. And, he get, and as they're throwing stones, guess what he said? He said, Father, forgive them, which is exactly what his Savior said. Yo, and he, begin, he identifies with Christ even in death. It says he looked up and the heavens opened. Yo, and he fell asleep. And in Acts 8, then the church really begins to become persecuted, and Stephen's death catalyzed that. And the, the church is persecuted, and guess what happens? It's, it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, because hashtag Jesus just said that. I mean, he said that in Acts 1, the gospel will go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what the persecution of the church did. And so then finally you get to the story of Paul. In Acts chapter 9, and don't you just love it, <laughs> that Jesus chooses the main persecutor of the church to become the main spreader of the gospel, <laughs> like just because he can, you know? Imagine the most caustic person towards our beliefs. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to use him. Because Paul sincerely was against Christianity. I mean that he was sincere about hating Christians. He believed he was right. And Jesus chose to use him. And then he chose to lead him to him. He didn't even need an evangelist at the beginning. He was like, don't worry, I got this. And he spoke to Paul himself. And then God decides to use Ananias. Ananias is a disciple. He's not a prophet. He's not a preacher. He's not someone in, who works for the church. The Bible just says he's a disciple. So just go like, yeah. yeah. That means you and me. It doesn't mean the person up here, right? It means every single one of us can do this. Just the normal guy. And he goes, he follows the prophetic guidance of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. He goes and he meets Paul. I love what, it, what happens in 9 verse 12. Ananias is like, God, are you sure? <laughs> he's like, you know this guy, right? He actually says, are you aware? Like, you know what he's done. And God's like, don't worry, I know. <laughs> and he goes and, and, you know, the rest is history. But by history, I really mean history. <laughs> it's true. And uh, I want to highlight one thing. I want us to do a little study real quick about Ananias and highlight one, one thing that God just, just rocked me on. And that is Acts 9, around verse 17 or 18. 
verse 17. It says, So Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Here's that word, brother, Saul. He said, brother. He said, brother, to the greatest enemy of the church. For all we know, he could, Ananias could have known Stephen. He certainly knew about Paul. Yet he comes to this man and he says, brother. So what's the difference between Ananias and this guy in the Old Testament named Jonah? We're quickly going to go to Jonah. And we're going to kick it old school. We're going to read a whole chapter. The way it used to be done, right? In the old, olden days, they used to get everyone to stand. Don't worry, we won't do that. But I want to read what happened with Jonah. So the end of Jonah 3 verse 10. Jonah, uh, many theologians say Jonah is the greatest revival of the Old Testament. Up to about 200 people got uh, repented. Jonah arrives in a city, preaches a hectic message. He says, repent, and they repent. So read in verse 10, Acts 3, uh, Jonah 3.10, it says, When God saw their deeds, that's the people of Nineveh, that they turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. 4 verse 1, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, the one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. You know what Jonah was saying? He was saying, God, I knew it. I knew you're merciful. That's why I jumped into the boat and went the other way. Not because he was scared. He didn't go to Nineveh because he was scared of, of what God might do or he was scared of the Ninevites. He didn't want to go because he knew God is merciful. He didn't want his enemies to receive the mercy of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? So the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. <laughs> but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head. So he became faint and begged with all his soul to die. Yo, he was a bit of a drama queen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jeremiah vibes, you know, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you didn't work and which you didn't cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and left hand? 
as well as many animals. And that's how Jonah ends. So, Jonah and Ananias, did they both receive a word from God? Yes. Jonah and Ananias, were they both called to their enemies? Yes, right? They were both called to people who, you know, they probably didn't like. Three, Jonah and Ananias, were they both obedient? Well, they were. Jonah took a while longer, but he was. What's the difference? Ananias said, brother. He was prepared to show the mercy of a savior to an enemy. He was prepared to let this treasure that's so wonderful to him touch even the one who had brought so much pain. You see, it's a profound revelation when you understand God's love for you. But let me give you the second one, which according to scripture, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the next profound revelation is this, when we understand his love for others. So this morning, I want to pray for us that the Lord will stir our hearts, that we will, in those moments when he gives us the opportunities to touch even those who are the enemies of Christ, who are enemies to us, who might have hurt us, that in those moments that we will have his mercy to say, brother. Because from this encounter, it went on to the establishment of, of a church in a place called Antioch, was the, which was the ends of the earth. You know what's so significant about Antioch is that it was really the first church that really piloted Jews and Gentiles together. And so the leadership of the church of Antioch was, was there was an African man, there was a person from the top uh, echelons of society who grew up with Herod, there was Paul, there was a Levite, I like to think he was the, the worship leader, <laughs> and there was Barnabas. And so there's this whole group of people, and God puts together this group of people from different cultures, different classes, different ethnicities, different races, and that's the church of Antioch, and that's the church that sent out the missionaries. So can we dare to look at those who are against and say, brother, could it be that the same mercy he has for me is the same mercy he wants us to minister? So let's pray. Lord, we ask for your heart. Lord, we just get a little window into history. When we look down at the story of Saul, and we just consider, God, that your heart was for this man. This man who was so against you, yet you show him mercy. You took a nation, a city like Nineveh, idol worshippers. Yet you relented because you are a God 
rich in mercy and loving kindness. So Father, what we ask for this morning is give us your heart. Lord, more of your heart for the lost. More of your heart even for those who have hurt us. Help us to say, brother. And Lord, we ask that you empower us even more to release your kingdom into those difficult places. Lord, what we are asking you for is the hard targets as well. Send us into those places with the hard targets. We ask for testimonies of salvations. And we ask that we will see the most, in our minds, the most unsavable reached. Stir our hearts as you've been doing this whole year. And and in this season, stir our hearts even more for the Great Commission. To go out and make disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen.